Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truth behind our offerings. Paul told the Corinthians that God is more concerned about our attitude and our giving than the amount we give. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver or a hilarious giver. That's what the believer is to be. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. God's church is made up of great diversity from different cultures, different races, and different social economic status. Today, as Pastor Xavier digs back into the simple truths of the Gospel of Luke, he reminds us that when it comes to our status in the church, it's always been a matter of the heart. Join us in Luke chapter 21 for today's study titled, The Widow's Gift and Lesson for How Actions Speak Louder Than Words. It is the Tuesday after the triumphal entry to Jerusalem by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He has been confronted and attacked with all kinds of questions all day long. He has been teaching there in the temple, as you know. All of 20 gives us that. In uh, the first eight verses of 20, the chief priests and the scribes question him about his authority. In 22 to 26, the Pharisees and Herodians asked him questions on taxes. Is it lawful to give taxes to Caesar? And in 27 to 38, the Sadducees questioned him about the resurrection with uh, the woman who had the seven brothers and all. And at the end of the chapter, in verse 46 to 47, Jesus warned the disciples about the scribes who loved to have their public admiration parading themselves in rows, the greetings in the marketplaces, the chief seats in the synagogues, as well as the major feasts, while all along devouring widows' houses and making pretense of long prayers. Quite an indictment. It is at this point Jesus observed people putting money into the treasury And our text will reveal to us three truths about our giving to God here. Let me read. And he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mice. And he said, truly, I say to you, that the poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. And so as Jesus reveals his observance of the people putting money into the treasury, he reveals three truths about our giving. First, in verse 1 and 2, Jesus is the secret observer of all giving. Secondly, in verse 3, Jesus is the secret appraiser of our giving. And thirdly, in verse 4, Jesus is a secret admirer of our giving. This is such a great text. First comes the fact that Jesus is a secret observer of all giving, verse 1 and 2. By the way, Mark is the only parallel passage to this. There's no other record, and that's Mark 12, 41 through 44. They're the only two times it appears here in Mark. Jesus, notice, look, 
And he took notice of the rich making their offering in verse 1. He looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And Jesus again had just finished this whole declaration of warning against these scribes. And, and here they are, they're, they're robbing widows' houses. And, and, and yet, this was the whole environment of that day, uh, religious hypocrisy and things that go on. But no generation escapes this. I hope you're not naive. There are always men who will uh, merchandise the people of God, men and women who will use and abuse their position. This is, uh, whether it be in the church, whether it be in government, whether it be in homes, whatever it may be. Mark tells us Jesus was sitting opposite the treasury in Mark 12, 41. This was between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women. And you have different gates there, and the gate beautiful stood nearby. And maybe Jesus was standing by this ornate gate with a beautiful vine on it to represent the fruitfulness that Israel was to be. And yet it had turned up wild grapes, even as Isaiah's uh, proclamation of the wild olive, uh, wild uh, vineyard. That God did everything. He couldn't have done anything more. And he was looking for a crop, and this happened. Now, in the court of the women, there were 13 collection boxes called trumpets. And this is what they're looking at. And the name comes from the very shape of the basket or receptacle in the shape of a trumpet with a wider mouth so that people can put stuff in. So like if you go across a tow bridge or pay freeway and you casting your money in that big receptacle. Now, the various collections of the trumpets identify particular funds to where they would designate them and what they would be donating to. Jesus was observing, and he saw the rich putting their gifts in, he says. Mark, in 1241, tells us that Jesus saw how the people put in money. The how indicates the outward attitude and the manner as well as the motive of their hearts. Jesus knew the heart of every person. There was no reason or motive that escaped him. In fact, John tells us in John 2.25, and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. You and I, look at what we see and we think what we see is real and we take it as genuine based on who it is that we're observing. But even in that which we believe to be genuine may not be. We don't know the heart of man. Jesus, what he's about to say in these four verses is absolutely incredible because it's the absolute truth and nothing can be doubted. The rich Jesus was observing was no different, and they were no different than those of today, especially when you're dealing with if the religious people like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that they had long lost a relationship with God, and it was just a ritualistic formality. They loved to parade their giving. They loved to be seen. They loved to be admired, and they loved to be envied. <laughs> Some of the uh, most horrific evidence for the world to use against us comes on Christian television, the way some of this stuff is prayed. And now, with the internet, you've got everything. You have people that misrepresent God in a very horrible way. And so the world interprets this straight across the board. Our flesh loves to be seen. 
Our flesh loves to have the number one place. The gifts indicated the offerings here. And the word gift simply Doran and simply means something given by one's own accord. Everyone could see how much as well as the particular funds. And people try to be nonchalant on things, but we, we kind of look and see what's going on. So they could say, ooh, look how much he put in there. And oh, he, 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 he put five funds, all 13 funds. Impressive. If you remember the... Um, the request of God for the tabernacle and the building of it is that every artifact, every material, every effort of contribution, be it uh, of artsmanship or not, it was to be done willingly of a willing heart. Exodus 25, 1 and 2, and many, many other times. God never wants you to feel compelled or forced to do anything for him, ever. God always declares the importance of how we do things, the reasons and, and the motives of our hearts. And so he's seen straight through these individuals. In verse 2, Jesus then also looked and took notice of a widow making her offering. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in her two mice. And Jesus looked up and saw just a certain widow, nothing, no one particular. He didn't know her. By the way, God made a big deal about widows in as a priority in the Old Testament, the law, if you read Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law to the new generation, especially the a tithe for the stranger, the fathers and the widows in uh, Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29, so they would have certain provisions. Uh, there were to be uh, no perversions in terms of justice for a widow from the judicial system, the judges in Deuteronomy 24, 17, and the stranger as well as the uh, fatherless. Pledges were not to be taken from their, their, their cloak or stuff like that and kept overnight. They were to be returned because it was their, their covering. And they were not to return when they were grazing their fields and that. They were not to return for sheaves that fell but they were to leave them for the father, the stranger, as well as the widows, and also leaving the corners of their field untouched so that those three groups and others could walk in and just pick and at their own work provide their own food to give them a sense of self-respect and honor and order to society. What a clever idea to have people work for their food. But you know, Paul also told Timothy in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16, certain requirements for widows. They had to be over 60 years of age. And he made a distinction between widows who had help from family members and widows indeed who had no one to help them. And then he gives the requirements and the prerequisites and all that. And when's the last time you heard that the New Testament church had prerequisites to help even widows? People don't touch anything. They just skim over things. And so we have taken the idea that Christians should give everybody everything and anything, anytime. The Bible doesn't teach that. We're to be kind, benevolent, loving. But um, we're not the world's uh, storehouse. Luke tells us she was poor, and the word poor designates a pauper, not even a mere peasant. Uh, she did not know where her next meal would come from. Now, the poor widow gave two mites notice, a very small brass coin, literally a thin one, about a quarter of a cent, insignificant. 
Mark says, two mites, which makes a quadrant. The old King James says a farthing. It's a Latin word, quadrant, and simply uh, means the same thing. There's no contradiction, about a fourth of a cent. An insignificant amount in comparison to the riches of the others. There's a great contrast here. You remember when God sent Elijah to the widow up at Seraphat and said that she would provide for him while he hid her, Elijah there, as they have in Jezebel, were after him. And, um, and when he got there, the widow and her son were picking up some sticks to make a fire and to cook up the last handful of flour that she had and a little bit of oil. And Elijah told her that she was to make him a cake first and then for herself and her son. And that God would not allow the flour to cease or the oil until the day that God brought forth rain. What an incredible passage. God's faithfulness to the widow as well as to the prophet in very, very difficult times. Matthew teaches us that we're not to do and exercise our giving to be seen of men, but to be done in secret. Matthew 6, 1 through 4 says, Take heed to that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do charitable deeds, do not sound a trumpet before you as a hypocrite. Do it in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that... They have the reward, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deeds may be in secret, and your heavenly Father that who sees in secret will reward you openly. A simple instruction that runs against our grain as human beings. We want people to acknowledge what we've done. We want them to feel indebted at times for what we've done, and, and that's not to be as believers. Paul told the Corinthians that God will never be a debtor to any person. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, this scripture can and has been and will be abused over and over again because people who are carnal try to use carnal means to motivate carnal people to get some of that carnal stuff, demonstrating that they are the most carnal of all of them. (laughs) And they stand behind pulpits. It's horrible. Paul also reminded the Corinthians that God is more concerned about our attitude and our giving than the amount we give. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver or a hilarious giver. If you can't give wherever you go to church and what God is directing to you, don't pollute the offering. You want God to do a clean work. Paul also gave to the Corinthians the principle of sowing and reaping based on the attitude of heart in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. And he uses the word grace synonymous with the giving that they were going to give. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. 
The word there, sufficiency, if you're with us in our study, that's a, a stoic word. That means that you live in such a way that you're a good steward, providing for yourself, for others, and always having something extra. So nobody ever has to take care of you, but you are there as a model for others. That's what the believer is to be. I've told you often that the minute we were born again, we became financially ahead. The very first weekend. You weren't out there drinking, getting drugs, and smashing your car, and getting your face smashed, and everything else, whatever else you did. Let alone now making decisions on the priorities on how you spend your money and what you buy, what you don't buy, where you go. Automatically, we're ahead. Paul is, well, tells them when this giving was to be done, and probably was just during the Sunday morning service, even as he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, not concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also, in the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside uh, storing up, uh, as, as he may prosper, that uh, there may be no collection when I come. So we, we kind of do this on Sunday morning. We do it for your convenience. We do it nonchalant. We don't try to make it a burden or anything else. And that's what we've done for all these years. And we don't plan on changing and anything else. It's just the way God has led us through the years. And I believe God honors that. Jesus is the secret observer of all giving. I don't know what you give. I don't care what you give. I don't want to know what you give. That's not my business. That's between you and God. Notice, secondly, Jesus is the secret appraiser of our giving in verse 3. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. So Jesus removes all human opinion regarding the estimation of what was being given to God. Jesus was speaking to his disciples directly, indirectly to the crowds. So he said, it says in the beginning of verse 3, Mark tells us, so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Mark 12, 43. So he's speaking directly to his disciples. They're right there in the court. They're looking up. And the crowds are still in the backdrop, Luke 20, 45 and Mark 12, 37. So they're hearing this too, but it's directly to the apostles, disciples. Now Jesus was about to speak absolute truth with absolute authority about the offering of this poor widow. The importance of the statement is its credibility regarding the words that are to follow being prefaced by the word truly. It means reliable, sure, certain. The same word is used by the centurion at the crucifixion in Mark 15.30. Truly this man was the son of God. Mark uses the word assuredly, the old King James, verily, verily. It's the word amen. The word amen is pronounced the same way in every language. Amen, amen. It's a universal word. When that word verily, verily, assuredly, assuredly is put in the beginning of the sentence, it pre-announces that what is about to be said, and Jesus did it in doubles, that is very important and it's absolutely reliable. If you put that same word, amen, at the end of the sentence, it says, so be it, let it be done. It's affirming what has been said. So it depends on the position of the word. Jesus is declaring the importance of the statement here based on the priority of his person, 
I say to you, Jesus didn't quote nobody, prophet, rabbi, philosopher, no one. He is the highest authority. When, he, when you read, I say to you, you can trust every word he says. You don't have to question, well, you know, you have the intellectual gurus in the Christian community and the seminars and seminaries, and they're deciding which really are the true words of Jesus, which are not, and they're, they're you know, amazing. Amazing. Notice Jesus removed also the hindering veil over their eyes. They only saw the physical. What, what they're seeing, Jesus is seeing something completely different. <laughs> he removed the veil, literally, as he's communicating this to them. He knew that she gave from a genuine heart. She was not trying to impress the rich with her two mites. It's like if you're driving down the street and you come up to the stop sign, there's a Bentley next to you, and you drive up with your Volkswagen, you roll down your window and say, how do you like my short, man? Like he's going to be impressed. She knows who she is. She, she knows who they are. He knew that she gave out of love for God. She was grateful for the little she had. He knew that she gave without trying to bring attention to herself. She was probably trying to get in and get out to not be seen. But she was most likely looked down upon as the rich would see her come forward. Maybe in themselves saying, what's she going to give? How is she going to affect this temple? Look at the beautiful stones, the jewels, the gold. Does she think that she had any part of this? You know how we are. <laughs> she understood God had provided her with the two mites. And she equally understood that God would continue to provide her for her, though she didn't know how. This is the greatest text of a life of faith. Paul gave a simple principle. God honors in our giving that we do it of a free will and in proportion to God's blessing. Again, he's dealing with the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 because he's asking them about the offer they made a year before for the poor saints of Jerusalem. That's why he gave us so many principles. And thank God he did. We wouldn't have had those. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians 8, 12 to 40, he says, For if there is first a willing mind, it is acceptable according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and that you burden, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance also may supply your lack that there may be equality. And so he's, he's laying it out on them. I don't want any group of people, any few be the one. This is, this is a family matter. This is, there should be nobody burdened over it or being able to boast about it. Listen to Psalm 37, 25. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. What an incredible passage. I'm a witness to you of this statement. Since I've been ordained in 76, I've seen this principle work. Can't explain it. God is faithful. Jesus is the secret appraiser of our giving. He alone, no one else. Pastor Xavier Reese 
wrapping up our time together today with an important reminder how the gifts of the offering are to God and never meant to merely draw the attention of man. Today's simple truth draws from the example of the poor widow of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. And you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's still much more to come right here next time as well. However, in the meantime, you can always pick up your own copy of this message. And the title to ask for is simply, The Widow's Gift. It's available on CD, as usual, for only $4. Once again, you'll be asking for the message titled, The Widow's Gift, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 